Welcome to God, Drugs, Laughs. We are a storytelling podcast about the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between when it comes to life. I am your host, Rob Christie, and I wanted to take some time to say uh, thank you for your patience. So we were taking two weeks off for the holidays just to spend time with family and focus on what was important. But that turned into two more weeks because we had some sickness in our house and had to have time to heal up and reschedule some recording times as well. So we are back up and at it, and we are excited to bring you this new podcast episode with Liz Zern, which is a great one. She talks a lot about um, certain struggles that she's had um, dealing with you know family members who were addicts and setting up proper boundaries and healthy boundaries to keep her safe as well as her loved ones safe. So I'm excited for you to hear this and a heck of a ghost story, by the way. Uh, As always, if you could like, share, um, rate, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to it, that would be a huge help. So thankful that many of you are sharing it with your friends by word of mouth as well, and hearing that it's been been a big encouragement for them. And that's kind of the goal of all this, right? We want to have a platform where we can be open and honest about life and about struggles, and in hopes that that can help others who are in the midst of that as well, and laugh while we do it. So I think that's important as well. So without further ado, let's get to it. And now let's get to know our guest. All right, I am so excited to introduce our guest this week, my sister from another mister, Liz Earn. Give it up Woo-hoo! for Liz Earn. How are you tonight, Liz? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Yeah. Well, I need to confess something. Uh-oh. I ate an entire bag of Cheetos today. That's disgusting. Yeah, I've been trying to eat better. <laughs> Obviously not doing so so well. But and I'm talking about like a, a normal size bag, like a family size. Well, not family. <laughs> In between, like the small bag and the family size. So I don't eat things that turn my fingers orange. I don't usually. I don't. I think since I became a middle school teacher, I'm like I see were all they the crap they hot eat, or were they like? No, I can't do the hot stuff. Mm-hmm. I can't do all the hot stuff. I mean, there's hope for you then. Yeah. So. <laughs> as bad as this sounds, I ate better today than I ate yesterday. So. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> so we're making progress. Okay. Making progress. Good job, buddy. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right. So, Liz, where do I know you from? Uh, we met at the Crossing Church. Yes. The Crossing Church. Several pastors ago. Yes. I think we were <laughs> pre-you- and post and no pre yeah. me me you and then post you yeah <laughs> okay so, so adam me jonathan was i pregnant with scarlet i think so yeah because didn't think, i do her dedication you did do her baby dedication yeah she was so cute i know, I know. does she remember that day for sure okay okay no she's old <laughs> she remembers nothing <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so we met there uh we connected on many levels one being our Love of hip hop. Yes. You have a Wu Tang shirt on right now. I do have a Wu Tang shirt. I, th- I got this for Christmas from my son. Do you see my Wu Tang album I on do. the wall? And that's my favorite one. Yeah. Actually. Oh, yeah. That's for far sure. the best one. Definitely. Wu Tang, the 36 Chambers. Yes. 
I love your wall of. I have. I think I had all of these. All of the albums. Yeah. CDs. Oh yeah. I did. Have them. I had a few of the tapes. Believe I had it or not, the tapes. Yeah. Yeah. You got a good. He's got a good wall, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank y'all. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really listen to vinyl. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's hard to listen to gangster rap around your sweet wife and oh. your little child. Oh. You know, so. My children are not that little. Uh, you know, I homeschool, right? Right. So this is a new thing. It is. It's crazy. Uh, I was teaching my eight-year-old and 10-year-old mm-hmm. how to spell method. Uh, so as in method man m-e-t-h-o-d man m-e-t-h-o-d man hey you get off my cloud you don't know me and you don't know my style so yeah i only taught them that m-e-t-h-o-d part yeah that's probably good and now every time they spell it they have to sing it yeah you're reaching the next generation i am i'm trying it's for the children it is wu-tang is for the children So So we want to get to know you a little bit more. So we've already learned some stuff already, but we want to dig a little deeper. Great. Okay. I'm ready. So let's just start with the basics. Where were you born? Where were you raised? Okay. Bit of your childhood. I was born in Tennessee, but I didn't live there very long. Uh, My parents got divorced when I was pretty young, Mm -hmm. so... um, my mom got married young, had kids young, wasn't really ready for the responsibility of that and wanted to go back to college and get her degree. She didn't really have any way to support herself. And my dad just rolled out and met another woman and hmm. started a new life. So um, we moved to Maryland, just outside of D.C., sort of like the metro, D.C., Maryland metro area. Have you had a crab feast? Uh, yes, sir. That it's is one of my favorite podcasts. My favorite called things the Crab Feast in the whole world. <laughs> so, um, yes, that is a very big part of culturally growing up in Maryland. If you're not really from Maryland, if you have not right. had a crab feast, yeah, it has to be done properly too. But we can talk about that in a couple. I've weeks. heard, I've heard. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. <laughs> I'm here to ask questions. Um. So yeah. So I lived in Maryland. Um. My mom came back around when I was about nine or so and wanted to try again Mm -hmm. at the mom thing. And we, I have an older brother named Curtis. Uh, Sup, Curtis? Sup, Curtis? I hope he listens to this. Me too. I do. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Curtis and I were very, very close um, as kids. And so we both went to live with our grandparents. We called them mom, mom, and papa. So that was when your parents got divorced. You went yeah. to live with your grandparents. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then we lived there. Um, we moved back in with my mom temporarily. My mom had a lot going on in her life that she wasn't really at her best yet. And mm-hmm. so we moved back with my grandparents. Um, it was sort of like back and forth and back and forth for a while. And right. then uh, we went to, I went to high school in Virginia. Um, at this point now, my stepfather had come into my my mom remarried. Mm-hmm. So uh, my stepfather was in the picture, and he wanted to get us as far away from her family and support network as possible. So we moved to Virginia. It was about five hours south of D.C. It was Danville, Virginia. What's up, Danville? Danville's like the armpit of Virginia. Stinky. It's terrible. It smells. <laughs> it was so bad. But you know what? I learned. I had a lot of people that I loved there that I got to know really well, and and um. So Danville will have a special place in my heart, but it it wasn't the best uh, place to live, and I was really far away from my whole family, my grandparents, and mm-hmm. my my aunt and uncle, and my cousins and stuff. So 
Um, when I graduated from high school, I had joined the military. I had a horrible car accident and I immediately was discharged from the military. And I just, just was like, what am I going to do? So do you I, get, can you stand up when they say veterans? I can, what? but I don't. Oh, you can. I oh. can, well, but I don't. I don't feel like I was in long enough for, yeah, for well, me to. I still would. <laughs> uh, depends. Am I getting like free stuff? Maybe I'll stand up. Maybe. Yeah. If I get like a free hat. Hey, it wasn't your fault you got destroyed. No, it was terrible. It was my whole career goal, really, was the military. Wow. I didn't know that. So then uh, it was like, oh, what am I going to do now? So, but, um, you know, things worked out the way they're supposed to work out as they will. So yeah. um, I moved back in with my grandparents. My grandmother was very sick by now. Um, she had dementia. She was diabetic. There were a lot of things health wise that were wrong. And so my granddad needed a lot of help. Mm-hmm. And um, so I moved back in with them and I kind of helped take care of them. And my granddad and I were super close. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that I stayed really up until I got married. I, I stayed living with them and I would I would pay rent. And then like, you know, three months later, I'd have this like big influx of cash in my checking account, like a deposit. Mm-hmm. And I'd go to my granddad and be like, well, did you put money in my account? And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, dude, come on. That kind How of am I going to learn? Yeah. <laughs> but it was good because yeah. it was it was always needed in college. That's you know? awesome. So, yeah. yeah. So that's it. I was, uh, I'm, I, I consider myself a Marylander for sure. Although now we've lived in Florida for almost 13 years. So I'm getting to be more and more Floridian as like right now it's so cold outside mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm from Florida now. <laughs> this <laughs> yeah. is too cold. I'm not going back. We sold our snowblower and I did this like little happy dance. Yeah. Yeah. You don't so, miss the snow at all? No. My yeah. kids want to see snow so bad and I'm like, watch it on TV. Yeah. And then I'll tell you, I'll, I'll like throw water at you and make you sit in front of the fan and you'll know exactly what it's like. <laughs> yeah. It's so great. It's nice to be in for like a vacation or something, but not Again, nice. Like I there. like watching snow fall. Mm-hmm. It's really pretty. Yeah. But I don't like anything else. Like then I just want to go, can I just watch it fall and then yeah. leave? You know, I'm from Jacksonville, so didn't see, it didn't rain here one time. I think it was 88, 89. But when I lived in Raleigh, North Carolina, it would rain, or excuse me, it would snow every now and then. And so I had two roommates who were from Haiti, and when it snowed, you know, I had never really seen snow, and they hadn't, so we were like down there at like 7 a.m. making <laughs> snow angels, and like adults, <laughs> like what, what are these people doing? Yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, but Raleigh's cool because it doesn't snow that often, so when it does snow, it kind of shuts down the yeah. whole city, so you don't really yeah. have to go to work, unless you work at a pharmacy, which I did. So I had to go to work. I did skid out a few times on black ice, but they don't care in yeah. Maryland if it snows. They're like, you're yeah, going. you're just going. You're going. This is part of life. Yeah. yeah. Well, tell us about your family now. My family now. I am married to the amazing Jason Zern. Sexy Jason. Zern. He is. He is a well. Okay. Hot Let's tamale. not go crazy. <laughs> hot tamale. Um. I have been married almost, gosh, like it's almost, it'll be 18 years in September. Wow. I didn't know you were that old. Oh, I'm not that just old. <laughs> He's a robber of cradles Whoa, is okay. what I'm saying. You did get married at 16, right? No. Okay. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so we got married in 2004. I met him 
on the interwebs. Oh, on like a... Match.com. Really? I, cool. I don't know if I knew that. Maybe not. We we didn't. We told everybody we met at Dave and Buster's. <laughs> That's first date, right? It is yeah, where okay. we had our yeah, first date. But yeah. it's it's like we sort of met online, but not really because we met online and then it was like literally a week where he was like, "I need to make sure you're not an eighty year old man. Can we meet yeah, in person?" For sure. Because back then, I mean, we met like eighteen years ago, and uh, you know, people weren't really dating online yet. It wasn't right. super much a thing. But we both knew people who had met like pretty normal people online. And I was out of college. I had had a long-term boyfriend that didn't work out. He had had a long-term girlfriend that didn't work out. And we were both kind of like, well, now what? Mm -hmm. I worked at a jewelry store. The only time you meet men at a jewelry store is when they're buying stuff for their wives or their girlfriends or both. And so you like don't meet men. And he's an IT, so he did nothing but hang out with IT men. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> sure. Uh, so, you know, we both sort of were kind of pushed into, you should try out this Match.com thing. And so we met on Match.com for like two seconds. We IM'd each other. Um, and then he wanted to meet me in person to make sure I wasn't, you know, an 80-year-old guy named yeah. Jack. Now, had you have, had you gone on any dates from people you I had you gone met? on a couple. How'd that go? Um, any it was surprises? Weird. Well, I met this guy that, like, I had this rule, and it was a really superficial rule, but uh-huh. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> if you're, if you're, if you didn't wear a watch, that was out. Really? Out. Yeah, because it means you don't care about, like, I worked in a jewelry store, man. So, like, and if you didn't have a belt on and you tucked your shirt in, out, immediately oh, yeah. out. Oh, yeah. Like, I can't. I'm down with that one. And it, the big one was if you lived with your parents, which was sort of, Really hypocritical of me because I still lived with my granddad. Right. But I just, I needed to make sure that it was somebody who, you know, I wanted the same things I wanted. Was sure. Interesting. I don't want to, I felt like I want to know who this person is. I want to know if they're serious. I didn't want to waste time anymore. I wanted, I really wanted to be married and have a family. And so on like our first date, I was like, listen, we're going to talk about your financial situation. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, if you're in debt. <laughs> I, I can't be down with that. And um, so we met at Dave and Buster's. We walk outside and, um, you know, I had, I was young, man. And I had Did just, you see if you pay with a credit card? Uh, I pulled my credit card out to go Dutch with him oh, on the first date. Okay. And he goes, you're not serious right now. You're uh, not. I'm, you know I'm not going to let you do that, that's right? That's the move, Jason. I know that was the move. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was pretty, pretty suave i'm gonna make you pay for both of us <laughs> <laughs> so he um and so we walk outside and i did not know this but jason ran a car club for bmw enthusiasts. oh that's our other <laughs> yes that connection. is our other yeah, connection i used to be a president of a car so club. he was also the president of a car club and they would all like park their cars and like turn their wheels to the side oh yeah well we had hydraulics on so ours so it's a little they had different. like yeah they had all the like the carbon fiber parts and the clear bras and like all the yeah crazy. they're like the rich car club we were like the ghetto car club I mean I like them all I like cars yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, so I I go to the you see my car club plaque back there by the way oh yeah, oh, yeah. don't fancy. hate don't hate it's fancy I'm gonna get one that BMW one okay, whatever. just like it I'll get my boys together we'll go fight <laughs> those, those guys I'm gonna try to fight you <laughs> yeesh. Man, I'm sorry. So this you guys very <laughs> escalated quickly. <laughs> I don't play around. Okay, uh, um, I like to act like I'm tough, even though I'm not. I am tough. Well, I'm, I'm not. Um, 
I ate a bag of Cheetos today. I don't yeah, know how right. tough you can be if you ate a bag, a whole bag of Cheetos. So y'all went outside. So we went outside. We're talking about credit. He was like, uh, so where's your car? I'm going to walk you to your car. And I had a hoopty, man. I had a hoopty. <laughs> it was old. It had one hubcap that was falling off. Like it kept like rattling. And it had fallen off. Actually, I think it wasn't on the car when we were out. Um, it was a Chevy Cavalier, 1997 Chevy Cavalier. It was quasar blue. Had vanity tags said "lovable" on it. Uh, I loved that car, and I it was paid for. Dang it! Like I paid every dollar of that. Yeah, car. I was very proud of that car. Heck yeah! And uh, so I'm like, oh, it's right here. And he kind of looked at me funny, and I was like, well, where's your car? And he pulls his little thing out, and he goes, bloop bloop, and like this beautiful BMW, <laughs> like Phoenix yellow, and all like lowered, and it, this car was. Uh-huh. really fantastic it was an yeah. m3 and so i was like oh well and so i went boop boop <laughs> <laughs> i like pushed my car button and you know it didn't really do much for me but uh he was like that's that's a nice car i'm gonna save this girl <laughs> yeah he was like i need to help her so um Really, one of the first things he did after we got married was buy me a new car. And I cried and cried because I loved – my car's name was Lovable. Mm-hmm. It was my vanity tag was Lovable. And I love that car. It got me a lot. It drove me to San Diego. It yeah. took me lots of places. Becca was like that with her car, her Matrix, Keanu. Yeah. My brother actually has it now, so she gets to see it every now and then. So I don't know if that's hard for her or – Maybe. It would be hard for me to see Lovable. Yeah. So – if I could find Lovable, I would buy it for Jack. Oh, <laughs> for yeah. his first car. It would probably break down on the first day, but... Uh, <laughs> It'd be worth it. Yeah. So your kiddos. Yeah. So I have Jack, who is 15 years old. Almost 16, which is crazy. Crazy. To me. Um, he currently has green hair. Nice. Um, he it, it, The big joke is what color is Jack's hair going to be this week? So he's had a mohawk. He has, like, right now this weird mullet, half mullet thing going on he's very punk mm-hmm. he likes punk like music that. he's like really his own guy which is really cool i think jack is a awesome kid he's really cool mm-hmm. and uh great fun has a great sense of humor has a lot of my characteristics which aren't great but <laughs> <laughs> i think he comes by naturally um and then i have chance who is like my little boy genius sup chance 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 uh, and Scarlett are both homeschooled. Jack goes to high school. Um, Jack is also, uh, to back up, he's the number six cross-country runner in the state of Florida right now. That's because he hadn't run against me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> That's he awesome. He is great. He is trying to, he ran the 5K time was 16 minutes, 11 seconds for a 5K. This is smoking. What is that? Two point? It's 3.12 miles. So, That's really yeah. smoking. Yeah. Yeah. So he's it's going into track season now, so he's trying to break like four twenty for the mile is nice. where he wants to be. That's crazy. So it'll be good. Um I'm just trying to do a mile. You know, I mean, right? Can I just <laughs> he laughed at me because I went running and I was running in like a twelve minute mile pace because I haven't run in a while. Uh-huh. And he was like, Man, mom, that was rough. <laughs> like, Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Wait until um, you get sixty one. Yeah. I know, right? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so good for sixty one. Um, so Chance, uh, can solve a Rubik's Cube in 14 seconds. That's his claim to fame. That is awesome. Uh, (laughs) He is awesome. Yeah. He's like, just like this really quirky, funny kid. Um, 
He is also trying to do some weird hair thing. He's 10 years old now, so he's got, like, the tween hair mm. that, like, falls over his eye, and he keeps, like, flicking his right. head like Justin Bieber, and I just want to, like, shake him. I hang out with 26 tweens every day. Wait, what is a tween? Tween is, like, I think it's 10 through 12 or 9 through 12. Okay. Something. 11 to 13. So Chance is yeah. in fourth grade. Oh, uh, okay. I got sixth and seventh grade. And, uh, yeah, he's, and, and he, he just loves Jack. So everything Jack does, Chance is like, that's cool. You know, trying to do the same thing. So, um, I, and then I have Scarlett who is just like the sweetest. She's like, I swear, Scarlett will walk into a room and everything lights up. She's just joyful and happy and sweet and she's kind. And, um, I might tear up a little. She's a good kid. I love Scarlett. I thought I was a boy mom, you know, I wasn't thinking I would have a girl. And mm-hmm. then I was really hoping I would have a girl when it was like, this is it. Yeah. Third kid. It's either going to be a boy or, or that's it. Like <laughs> it's just going to be. So I didn't think I would uh, have a girl, but then I was so, and I'm so glad I do. She's like my bud. That's we, awesome. We get our nails done together. Good stuff. She likes to shop. She's my girl. So, so what are some of your interests? Mm. Like if someone were to ask you, Tell me more about Lizern. Like, what do you enjoy doing? So consuming. Before, yes. Producing. Before COVID, I was running a very small operation, private chef business. Mm-hmm. Um, so cooking food is really like my passion. I love food. I love everything about food. Um, I only run and work out because of food, because that's how I am able to consume so much food. Yeah. Um, I love it. I just love everything about it. I think food is one of those things that like just everybody comes together around. It's like one of those great bonding things. Like when you feed people, you get this instant connection with them. And when you learn about the foods that people like to eat, you can learn a lot about a person by the things they like to eat. Are they healthy? Are they like you eat Cheetos, man? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> what that I'm says. a vegetarian right now. Vegetarian, <laughs> not Cheetos. a vegan. Got it. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like you can, you can, you can really bond with a person. I think that food is one of those things. You bring it for celebrations. You bring it for sad times. You, you know, and mm-hmm. it's it's just one of these things that brings people together. And and I love that. Um, I I love people. I love being around people. Um, quarantine. Jason and I are very different. Mm-hmm. So quarantine for Jason was like, this is my moment. This right. is what I've waited it's my whole life. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah. And he was like, yes. No, I'm sorry. We're in quarantine. Yeah. We can't come. Yeah. For me, I was like, you know, the dogs that sit outside the window and they wait for people to pass with their little noses. Mm-hmm. Like, that was me. <laughs> I was like, please talk to me. I had friends that would drive by the house to come and see me and wave at me. <laughs> Thank you. I was very lonely. And even though my family was there, I was just like, I need people, you know? So um, I think that, and maybe that's why I like food so much, because it always (laughs) brings people. Um, And I like to read. I I really love to read. I love, um, which isn't very uh, extroverted of me, but I do love to read. And I like to read all kinds of genres of stuff. And I love music. So I think those are probably, if I had to do like the top four Listen in a nutshell things those would be my things um and i music too i have a very like diverse range of things mm-hmm. that i like what are some things you like 
Um, well, we know you like hip hop. I like Wu Tang. Yeah, I like I like hip hop. Tupac. A lot. I do love Tupac. I like Biggie too, though. So am I a cheater? Yeah. I don't know. I love no, them no. both. Um, not anymore. Not anymore. Maybe back in the day. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but and I don't really listen to country music. That's probably the only genre that I'm not really. I just don't get it as much. But there are a few country songs. I can't think of any right now. But like when I hear them, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I like that song. That's okay. Yeah. What do you like about hip hop? Is it the beats or is it? No, the- because I think there's some beats now that are good, but that I wouldn't listen to necessarily. That I. The older hip hop, which now I sound like some sort of old head, right? <laughs> but like the older hip hop was very poetic, right? And there was, um, there was a lot of feeling in it. There was a lot of you could hear like angst, especially in Tupac. Tupac was very right. was a poet, you know. Sure. So you would just people put their heart and soul into these songs. The Roots was another one that I loved. There's those those songs are not just you know, music that you're making to like pump out music, but Mm. there was like a heartbeat in that music. So, um, I think that that's, and, and I think that the same way I feel about hip hop is how I feel about a lot of worship music. I listen to a lot of worship music Mm -hmm. too. And not like, like, wow, worship 1990. These are the days of Elijah. <laughs> some, some Chris Tomlin. <laughs> I, I like Chris Tomlin, actually. <laughs> Why am I saying that? But, you know, like, there's a lot of, like, you can feel something deep and, and have some, some of them. I mean, some of them are obviously, like, let's spit out quick music. Sure. But, you know, um, I, there are songs that will hit me really powerfully, and and when I have those moments, I'm like, man, this is this is good stuff, you know. Yeah. So I get really yeah. emotionally involved um, with with music. Yeah, so. yeah, I'm the same way for sure. I was just wondering if you like the storytelling. That's a big thing that I like about yeah, I like um, mm-hmm. rap, and that's why I like country, I, more older stuff um, because of the storytelling in it. Because you have friends in low places. I'm, I am that friend. <laughs> right. I am right. the friend in the low place. <laughs> so, well, listen, I, there's one big thing I want you to share because mm-hmm. I shared it on here and I didn't do it justice. Okay. You shared with me a, a crazy ghost story. I did. Do you think you'd be able to share that? Okay. So, right. <laughs> I had the spread. Do you believe in ghosts, by the way, before we start? I don't know. You know, I do, but I don't. Like, okay. I don't. I get think, it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I but understand. I do a little bit because of what happened. <laughs> so I lived in, we were married. I lived in Percival, Virginia, which is just outside of like the Leesburg, DC Metro area, right? Mm-hmm. It's like to the west of that suburbs. So um, there's a lot of old farmhouse type homes in this area. And I used to drive past this one little part to get to our house. And our house was in this, like, very new neighborhood. They had cleared out all this wood area, and they had built this beautiful 28-home, single-family home neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So I would drive past there on my way home from work. So I worked with this guy. His name is Bill McGowan. What's up, Bill? Bill. I know Bill. I haven't talked to Bill in a minute. Talking about William? I really like Bill. His name is William. (laughs) Willie. So, Bill was this older guy. He liked freaking me out at work. We worked at Jared, the Gallery of Jewelry. I don't know that one. Jared? I know K. Every kiss begins with K. That's Jared. (laughs) You know that one? (laughs) That's Jared. I don't know Jared. I'll be honest with you. 
They would say... Um, I know the subway, Jerry, but you we had don't to be, talk about no, him. No, not him. Yeah, we don't talk no. about him. No. So uh, you had to open the doors at Jared and go, Welcome to Jared, the gallery of jewelry. It was so cheesy. Like, you had to say the whole thing uh, yeah. when you opened the doors. I used to work at Blockbuster, so we had to Welcome to Blockbuster. Yeah. Welcome to Moe's. Welcome to Blockbuster. Yeah, Blockbuster started that. Okay, anyway. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. So I worked at Jared with Bill, and he we would... At late at night, there's not a lot of people in there really past like eight or nine. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to close out the store. And we have to start, you have to literally pull every piece of jewelry out of the whole really? thing. Jeez. Put them on these racks, count everything by hand. So you've got like 10 employees that are working, maybe not that many, but I would do rings. He would do necklaces. Like you, you're literally hand counting each piece to right. make sure nothing's missing. Sure. And you put it all back <laughs> in the vault and the next day you pull it back out. You do the whole thing over again. Mm. Called case counts. It's everyone's worst nightmare that works in jewelry. You have to do case counts. So he would tell me stories during case counts. And one day he's telling me about this house that was like on the corner right where I would drive, um, where I was, where I would drive by. And so Bill worked part time at Jared's and he was full time a realtor. And so he was like, you know, that house that's on the corner house is haunted. I'm like, dude, it's not haunted. Whatever. So he would say there was this guy that lived there and he would notice that the lights would flicker off and on when he was home. So he would go downstairs, turn all the lights off, get ready to go to upstairs, go to bed. And all of a sudden he'd hear like this sound, like a kid crying and he would go downstairs. He thought it was an animal, like a cat or something. So he would go downstairs, he'd check and all the lights would be back on. He's like, what the heck's going on? So then he thought it was an electrical issue. And this guy had an electrician come out. And Bill's telling me all these stories about how, like, they can't find anything wrong. But he keeps hearing these noises. And he would hear, like, scratching sounds. And he would hear all this stuff. So I'm like, Bill, I got to drive home at night. You're freaking me out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I'm driving home. You, you got to drive by this house, yeah, right? right. So, I, yes. Like, literally, yeah. like... It's on the corner, so I drive here, sure. and then I drive, and then my back's turned to the house, Ooh. driving down the road. I'm like, oh I'm gosh, following you, Liz. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm driving home one night, and um, all the lights are on in this house, and there was this kid standing in the upper window of the house. Yeah, and I'm looking at this kid, and he's just like standing there, You're waving at you. No, just standing <laughs> in the window, and I'm like, what is this kid? He's gonna like freak somebody out like what's yeah. he doing up there so i go to work and i'm like bill that guy that lives in the corner house his kid is staring at me out the window of the upper window of the house and he goes i didn't have any kids Ooh. and i was like what what do you mean he's like matter of fact they're not even home this weekend so every light in the whole house, Jeez. it was lit up like Christmas, Rob. Like you, <laughs> it's like every light. And this kid was standing there. So then from then on, every time I drove by the house, I would go, Satan, do not come near this car. You have no power here. I'm not even kidding. I didn't say that in the car by myself like a crazy person. But I was like, no, Satan, you have no power here. Get behind me. That's creepy. It was very scary. It was very. So you've sc- seen a ghost, maybe, or maybe it was the guy who knows what was. Yeah. Go- but he oh, also, really short guy. They did find out that that house did used to belong to like some sort of school or something for children whose parents were like lost in the Civil War or they were gone to the Civil War, 
and uh, they, okay. they were living there temporarily or anyway these kids but there there was some like misdeeds going on at that school that was found out way later which Creepy. i didn't know at, about at the time of the boy in the window yeah okay. i'll be honest with you i'm kind of scared right now <laughs> <laughs> You want me to go grab Becca? Like sure looking around. Okay. <laughs> it was very creepy. <laughs> that is creepy. Yeah. All right, we're running out of time, so let me let me ask you some questions. All right. All right. When you were a kid, what did you think you would grow up to be? I wanted to be an author. I wanted oh, okay. to write books. I still would like to do that. One. Yeah. Um, I really loved writing. I still love writing. Um, I wrote poetry. A lot of poetry. Nice. Um, I used to go downtown in college to this place called the Kaffa House, which is in D.C. Mm-hmm. And they had open mic poetry nights. And I would write poetry and share it at Kaffa cool. House. It was cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I thought I would write the great American novel or cookbook, maybe. <laughs> maybe you still will. Still, maybe. You do need to write a cookbook. I forgot to add that I've had your cooking, and it is delicious. Thank you. Very delicious. Thank you. What's the worst nightmare you've ever had? Okay, I was really excited about this question, actually. And I'm going to try to keep it brief. But I have this thing, and it's called um, night paralysis. I have it as well. Do you actually? I do. Yeah. Rob, shut up. Are you serious? I do. <gasps> I've, not, I've met one other person in my whole life. Do your listeners know what night paralysis is? I don't know. But so, I, I will say I usually... <laughs> the only time I had it was when I was using drugs. I am not. I do not use drugs. <laughs> I know that, but yeah. Oh, go ahead and, and tell. What, so tell I us looked it, it up because I was like, something's wrong with me. Somebody's I had, in my house. Somebody's I, in my house. Yeah, somebody's in another room. I, I can't move. It's terrifying. So basically, if you don't know what night paralysis is, night paralysis is where you are somewhere in lucid dream, where like you're sort of awake but not really awake, and you're also still asleep. So you go to sleep. And it um, seems to happen in really high stress periods mm-hmm. in your life, or in my life at least. And they also, there's some research that indicates it's migraine related, which I do get like really bad chronic migraines. Really? Mm-hmm. So um, I was going to do a sleep study, but I don't like the idea of people watching me when I'm yeah, sleeping. I couldn't sleep. So um, <laughs> so anyway, night paralysis, You, it, it's exactly what it sounds like. You wake up and you are actually paralyzed. You cannot move. And you. I remember waking up and the first time I ever had, I like lost my mind. I was yeah. screaming and I couldn't scream. Right. And I was trying to re... I was pregnant with Jack at the time. And I was reaching my hand out to try to grab something and like get awake. Because I knew I was still sort of sleeping. Right. And... um. I couldn't wake up, and I, and then I f- saw this man like walk by. Yes, and I was home alone because Jason didn't work from home, and I was home alone. And this man walked by, and I had this feeling like he was going to harm me. Yeah, like something bad was coming for me. Yeah. Like he was coming for me, and it was going to harm. And I couldn't. It was it. It sounds crazy when I'm saying it out loud, but thank God you had this before. Yeah. Because, like, no, it, just, it does sound crazy, like, and it's very terrifying. Yeah. And so the second time I had ever had that was not that long after. I was very sleep deprived from having a baby, and and that happened again. So it usually happens in times when I'm under high intensity stress, mm-hmm. or if I'm recovering from a migraine. I've recently had a migraine, so I'll have this recurring dream probably a few times a year and every time it's like fresh like it 
Like I, I know it's happened before in my subconscious, but I've, it's always like something's here, something's going to get me and it is so scary. And so I did look it up online to see if there were other people who had ever had anything like this. And, um, and it was very terrifying. And, and then finding out that actually like there's something like 30% of the population has had something similar to this or had that kind of, um, night paralysis, but it is it's I terrifying. I don't wish that on anybody because it's yeah. very scary. Yeah, I've heard it described as your brain is still awake, but your body is asleep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so mine was, it, mine may have been more related to stress than drugs now, mm-hmm. you know, that you say that. I've never really looked up what, what the cause is. Um, but yeah, I remember the first time I woke up and like somebody was in the other room. And they were coming to kill us, and it, and that's that's a very common thing. Like mm-hmm. something's about to do you harm, mm-hmm. do you harm, um, and you can't do anything about it. Um, I was having them so frequently at this time that I would like when I would go into it, I knew I was in it, and so like I trained myself to like wiggle my finger, mm. like try my best to wiggle my finger, and it worked sometimes. So, but yeah, can you imagine like people back in the day having that? No, that's I why mean, they blamed it all on alien abductions or yeah, something. Yeah. Like, Demon activity. Yeah, yeah demonic it, it does stuff. feel demonic. It does. Though. Like you're it very, does. it's really scary. It does. Yeah. It feels super scary. All right. What would you pick for your last meal? Okay. That's easy, actually. And then I have one more question for you. Then okay, we'll move so that on. one's easy. I, um, have celiac disease, mm-hmm. which is really horrifying when you're a chef. Um, I was diagnosed about eight years ago. Celiac disease is an autoimmune disorder where you cannot process, your body can't process gluten, which is found in wheat, rye, and barley. So basically everything. All the good stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if I, this is last meal, no repercussions. <laughs> going for it. <laughs> I'm going all in. Mm. Um, I would get one of those like big Italian loaves of bread mm-hmm. with like the crusty outside and like hot. Like I want it hot out of the oven so it's like soft and hot on the inside. Yeah. And I would slather it in butter and I would Ooh-wee. just eat that. And then I would have a low country boil with You describe what I ate last night. Oh <laughs> my friends. That's not bad for you. <laughs> I mean the butter's probably not that good for you. Um yeah, I'd have a low country with all my friends. Like, this is it, you guys going down (laughs) and I I would make it last as long as possible and just eat and laugh and crack crabs until my fingers bled and it would just be awesome old bay everywhere nice and then I would finish it with like the biggest piece of carrot cake with the cream cheese frosting carrot cake huh it's my favorite I can make that gluten-free and it's pretty banging actually if you it's not yeah you can't tell it's gluten-free well, maybe you can because you can actually eat gluten. But now that I've been eight years gluten free, yeah. I, mean, I can't tell. I'm like that on certain things that are vegan. Yeah, you know that we've eaten. That sounds like a good meal. Yeah, I think. I think about. I'm going to make lot. that happen if I know you're dying. <laughs> if I'm going to die, bring the carrot cake. Yeah, full I, gluten. I got gotcha. you. Thank you. All right. So, last question: yes. Who is God to you? So we talk about God, drugs, laughs. So it's, you know, we can talk about God, we talk about drugs, sometimes we don't, but we talk about laughs, storytelling, things like that. Mm-hmm. But this portion, we would like to know who is God to you. And you can answer however you wish. Okay. So. Which um, sounded weird. Like, like I'd make you answer a certain <laughs> way. This is who you're going to say God is to you. <laughs> um, so, so 
It's really weird because I think that, like, the Christian answer is supposed to be, like, God is the son of, or, you know, Jesus is the son of God. And I do believe that. I believe the God of the Bible. I believe that that is all true, that he is who he says he is, Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, Jesus is God and that there's only one Jesus and there's only one God. And um, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in all of those things. But I think if you're talking more of, like, any personal to me way, um, I have lived my life without God. And I know what that looks like. It feels very hopeless and it feels Mm -hmm. very shallow and very, um, hopeless is really the best word. Um, because if this is it, this is it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it feels heavy. Um, and so I became a Christian in my twenties. Um, I, that's sort of a long story, so I won't go into the whole thing, but I, I started going to church basically to get free food out of this guy <laughs> that wanted to date me, and he would take me to lunch after. <laughs> and he tucked his shirt in without a belt? <laughs> no, he had a belt. He did <laughs> have a belt. <laughs> Call back. But um, I dated him a long time, and so, um, but he, he was a Christian, and he was going to church, and so he asked me out on this date. I, I go out, and then he was like, do you want to go to church with me? And I was like, no, I do not want mm-hmm. to go to church with you at all. And he was like, well, we go to lunch after. I'm like, well, where do you go to lunch? So it was Carrabba's. What? And I, I was not gluten-free back then. Yeah. So I was like, yes, I do want to go to church, yeah. actually. So I started going to church with this guy, and then I was going to this Bible study because I was just curious. Like, at that point, I'm like, what is this? Why are all these people here every Sunday? This right. is crazy. So at some point years in – you know, I, f- I hear this very clear gospel presentation on a Sunday morning. It was like, if you don't know who Jesus is, mm-hmm. like, walk down the aisle, right, come sure, up front. Sure. Like, and I was like, don't get up, don't get up. <laughs> and, you know, I'm jumping up and down, literally in my chair with my hands in the air, like, that's oh, me. That's yeah. me. I need that. Right. And tears are flowing. I'm not, I don't like to cry in front of people. So it was weird. It was like, now I'm a crier. Like, that's the worst part that God has made me this (laughs) really soft crier. And so it's just this hope, this really beautiful hope that I have that no matter how dark things get for me, no matter how hard things get for me, no matter, you know, what things are I'm faced with, I feel this hope that God, like, I know the difference I know living without him and I know living with him. And so I have this hope that he is who he says he is. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the difference between like cerebral knowledge of God and faith knowledge of God. I could read the Bible all day long and not be a Christian. Right. right? And I could read the Bible all day long and never really get it. Mm -hmm. But there was a light bulb moment where it was like, man, this is real. This is true and real and good. And so, and then it's funny because like I was under the impression because I was such a new Christian that like I would walk down the aisle and raise my hands and then the, you know, the ray of sunshine would fall on me and doves would fly in the church and then all my problems would be solved. That didn't happen to you? No. That actually happened in my my conversion. Oh, (laughs) I did it wrong. They they, they baptized me incorrectly. (laughs) You know, I, uh, it was funny too, like the second I, you know, in Christian world, I got saved, right? So the second I I felt like that that had happened and Mm -hmm. I was saved, I was like, I got to get baptized. I got to get baptized right now. Yeah. (laughs) 
pour the water. Yeah, yeah. And so cool. I ran to my pastor and I was like, I gotta, I feel like I need to get baptized. Like right now I need to be baptized. Like I need it washed off of me. I yeah. need, and he was like, well, you have to understand like baptism doesn't save you. I was like, no, I just got saved like 10 minutes ago in the church. Like right. now I want to get baptized. Yeah. And so I did get baptized as an adult too. And no one in my family came to my baptism <laughs> because we grew up in the Episcopal and Catholic church. Uh, so gotcha, yeah. they were like, you've already been sprinkled with the water. You don't right. need any more water. You're yeah. fine. But um, I sort of look at the, I have all of our pictures of my whole family at their different baptisms um, on our bookshelves. I love those pictures because it's it's a reminder that like, God is who he says he is. And mm-hmm. that like me giving my life to him really didn't do anything for him. It did all the things for me. Right. It changed my life. And I think that that's what he wants me to know. Like he doesn't need me. I need him, but yeah. he, but he, the fact that he even wants to know me or the wants to have a relationship with me. And that, that is, it's just all the difference in the world to have hopelessness and hope. There's, mm-hmm. there's no, the exchange of, me giving God power over my life is nothing compared to this this feeling of peace. Right. That it's all going to be okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. That was the long answer. No, that's great. That's great. That's beautiful. Yeah, I love, you know, when the gospel is presented in the way I believe God intended it to be, how beautiful it is, you know, and yeah. how it does evoke in us like this. Um, I want that. I need that. Yeah. You know, even to me to this day. When I hear that. Yeah. So good stuff. All right, Liz, we got to know you. We're going to have you back on because we didn't get to all the questions. So right. I knew you were going to be a, a talker, uh, a, a three Peter <laughs> guest. So. I have been of <laughs> all right. So let's get on to our topic of the week. Okay. Here is your topic of the week. All right, so have a good topic this week. I know it's a tough one, but we are going to talk about um, what it's like to love someone who is an addict, specifically a family member who is an addict. So Liz, unfortunately, has this experience. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know where you want to start with this, but I know you thought through it, so I'll kind of hand it over. So... um you know, part of the place where we grew up um, was a little bit of a rougher area. Um, <laughs> so at, when I got older, there was this guy that used to, like, uh, help mow our grass. And he would always watch me when I would get home from work. I was in college, right? So mm-hmm. he would, like, watch me when I got home creepy. from work. It wasn't creepy, though, because he was MS-13. Uh-huh. And he was making sure that I got in okay. Oh, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> and he had he really loved the elderly, so he would, like, watch out for my granddad. He would come, like, shovel our snow and mm-hmm. mow the grass. And he was just watching out for me. It was a little creepy, but he was, like, legit a, like, gangbanger. So he uh-huh. would make sure that, <laughs> that I was okay. Yeah. Because we were, like, grandfathered into the neighborhood i guess before he moved in there so he like looked out for people in the neighborhood so right and he came up to me and said like hey i'm just i'm not i'm not being weird i'm just making sure you're okay because i yeah. see you get home at midnight and i was like okay yeah. weirdo why are you sitting <laughs> on the porch at midnight but now right. i know why yeah so anyway um you know we grew up in this kind of rough part of of maryland um 
And my older brother, Curtis, and I, like I said earlier, were really, really close. Um, we had been through some things with our parents getting divorced. Um, and he started, um, really it was just like maybe smoking weed or drinking and stuff, but he was young. He was like, you know, 11 or 12 years mm-hmm. old. Um, and now I have a 10 year old and I think about it. I'm like, man, he was so young. Yeah. Um, you know, chances worst thing is that he sneaks and gets on his iPad at night. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and so, uh, he struggled from very early on. Like it took a hold of him very early mm-hmm. in his life. Um, and I think that Curtis sort of followed this trajectory of like getting in trouble because he got in trouble and then he was like on the hamster wheel, get in trouble. Now you're a troublemaker. You get in trouble. Now you're a troublemaker. And sure. you just, and so he was no way to get off of it. Um, he, was homeless several times in his teens and in his early twenties. Um, and there were times where we weren't sure, like the police would come knocking on the door and we were like, well, this is, they're going to tell us he found his body or something. Um, and it was really tumultuous and scary. And, um, I would write him letters. (laughs) He would go to jail for get caught for something and go to jail. Um, you know, and he was he was doing very violent things. He pistol whipped some guy. Mm. He would get, you know, rob people. He was doing things that were very scary. Right. And it's funny because when you grow up in that sort of thing, but you're not using or hanging out with the people that are using. For me, I was kind of like the little sister of the whole neighborhood. Um, which, you know how they always say, like, there's honor among thieves or there's honor among gangs, you know, like, it's really interesting to me because, like, the people that I grew up with, some of them are really hardened criminals, like, really hardcore people. But those are people that, like, if I said to them, something horrible has happened to me, they would rally and have Mm -hmm. my back. So I, and it's, it's so interesting because, like, I'm around people who have, you know, now we live in this like suburbia, beautiful thing, but I don't really know most of my neighbors where back then, you know, nobody had anything. We had nothing, Mm -hmm. but these people, they had your back. If you needed money for school, they would rally to make sure that I had money for school or they would, God knows where they got the money from, (laughs) but you know, there, it's very interesting to me, the, the camaraderie and the love that the, that the group had for each other. Um, yeah. I experienced that as well. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, we had people at our table that went on to be murderers yeah. and, um, but yeah, yeah you, you took care of your own yeah. kind of attitude. So I yeah. definitely experienced that as well. Yeah. So, um, you know, watching my brother kind of struggle, we kept thinking like, okay, he's, he's 20. He's going to grow yeah. out of it now. He's 25. Well, now he's married and he has a kid. He's going to, this will stop him. Well, now mm-hmm. he's got a kid. He's going to, he's got to grow up. My brother can be accused of a lot of things, but he loves his children mm-hmm. deeply. Um, but I think that the hold that drugs have had on him for so long, it's not that he loves it more. He, it's that he doesn't love himself enough a lot yeah. of times to um to get past it yeah well he has a disease sure yeah and um unless you 
receive proper care for that and want to get right. well, then it's hard to get well. And, you know, um, I, the reality is when we say, I'm not going to do that again, we yeah. mean it. <laughs> right. Right. Because we don't want to put drugs over our family or right. drugs over other things that we love. It's just that's how the disease, that's how powerful it is, yeah. you know, um, over us. Um, and, you know, if you have a problem with it being called disease, you got to go talk to the medical field, <laughs> right? Because right. that is what they have designated it as, um, is a disease. So, yeah, I can totally get that. Yeah. So, so, and it's, it's hard because like you watch and you hope and you think this is it, this is it. And there's been many times where he's, he went to rehab and he needed somebody who was, um, the non-addicted family member or non-addicted friend to like not sponsor him, but not like a sponsorship, like Al-Anon sponsorship, but like a, I'm going to, he, he did work release. So in order for him to leave the jail to go work, he had to have somebody who was willing to like stand up for him. And Mm -hmm. it was usually me (laughs) um, or my granddad. And that person also had to attend Al-Anon. So I attended a lot of Al-Anon yeah, meetings. Yeah. Um, and Becca did that as well. And I felt like it was very helpful to me to know where to put those boundaries up with him. Um, but it doesn't make it easy because you love this person. You don't want to say no to them when right. they're like, hey, can you drive me over to the store real quick? I need to just get something. And you're like, you know he's going there to right. try to buy something or whatever. But... It's like, well, what if he's telling the truth and he just wants a Snickers bar? <laughs> like, yeah. So, so you don't want, you know, it, it, it got really hard for me to be around him because it was hurting me, but also it was hurting him because I didn't have strong enough boundaries to say no to him. Um, you know, he was like, can I get $20? I need gas in my car. Well, I knew he wasn't going to put gas in his car, Sure. but I would still give him the $20. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it was, um, I think that it was really hard until I had a family of my own. And then I realized this is cyclical. He did a lot of drugs with my stepfather. Um, When my mom got remarried, so she's been married. We had the same dad. She got remarried to a man who um, she had another son with, my brother Edward. He's 10 years younger than me. And we're very close. Um, And... Then he, his name, his, my stepfather's name was Ed and he, they were married for about 16 years. So at my wedding, we had a dry wedding with a mm-hmm. champagne toast because we don't want alcohol there, uh, mostly because of Ed, mm-hmm. but also because Curtis was going to be there and we wanted to make sure that he could not have the temptation of alcohol right. at this family event. Well, Pretty sure he was high at my wedding, but Ed left to go drink. Um, There was a TGI Fridays. He went in his tuxedo and went and got hammered instead of, and we had a morning wedding. So it was like 11 o'clock in the morning. He's sitting at the bar at Fridays. So, um, you know, my mom realized after I got married, like, this isn't going to change. My kids are grown. I I need to get out of this. So Mm -hmm. she did divorce him. Um, And I think that she sort of felt like all along like he was going to change. But during the time when we were growing up, when we were living with that, my parents, my mom and my stepdad, sort of off and on and, and back with my grandparents off and on. But it was really hard because, you know, my mom would 
try to make a family, but it was so dysfunctional right. and so messed up because you've got this guy who's addicted to pornography, addicted to um, drugs, addicted to alcohol, mm-hmm. painkillers, you know, and he's not really working very much. So my mom was working a lot. There was a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, a lot of like just heavy, heavy things. And in turn, the non-addicted person in the relationship, which was me, got addicted to uh, success. Mm. (laughs) Like I was like the cheerleader, the ROTC kid, the straight A student, the I'm going to be so good that everybody will ignore all these bad things Mm. And, um, and I think that as an adult, you know, looking back at those things, like it made me very type A, very, um, uh, driven by outward appearances and, and doing everything myself. And I think that that's not really a great response to Mm. trauma because I, I had a really hard time asking for help, Mm -hmm. um, until, you know, really the last probably 10 years that I, I really had a hard time. Um, asking for help. And I think that God has changed a lot of that for me of saying, it's okay to not always have it under control. It's okay to not be okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's, um, that's it in a nutshell is, is just that my, my brother and I, we've always been close. And when I see him now, I'm like, there he is. There's Curdy, you know, right. like, and I, I still see him as this kid that can be pulled out of the wreckage, but I realize also it's not my job anymore. Yeah. And I think that that's the turning point. Um, and I'm hoping that my mom has gotten there too, because right. my mom is the classic enabler yeah. um, in the relationship. She just thinks she's going to fix him. And I think through a lot of therapy and a lot of help, both she and I have kind of come to realize that like, we're not fixers of people. And for me, I know that I, there's nothing I can do for Curtis. Like, there's nothing I can do for anybody who has that. God forbid if one of my kids had a mm-hmm. addiction issue. I don't know how I would fix that either because yeah. it's not my responsibility to fix something like that. That's something that God has to move in a person's life and change their heart and, and help them through it. And they have to give it over to him. And I think that that was really like something that I had to come to terms with was that like nothing I can do for him will make him stop using. Yeah. That he has to want it enough. And he forcing people to either go to jail or prison or go to rehab is never a good choice. They're right. going to choose rehab every time, but it's not going to help them actually rehab. Yeah, until they want, want to yeah, get Yeah, right. Until they want it. Yeah. Because, you know, there comes a point where, you know, for me, it's like, all right, I'm going to do it for my wife. I'm going to do it for my mom. Do it for my child. But unless you're doing it for me. Yeah. Um, which sounds incredibly selfish, but it has to be that. Yeah. Um, then it won't take. And like you said, it takes giving it over to God. Say, okay, how I was running my life led me here. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to let you run my life. And, right. you know, so, you know, what, what kind of boundaries have you had to set up as, you know, his sister? Obviously, <laughs> I, I, I totally relate to, I have a weird type of uh, point of view of this because my brother is an addict. So I didn't become an addict myself till I was 38, you know? Um, So I was always trying to help him and and love him and turned out I was enabling him in a lot of ways and we were enabling him. Um, So I, I totally understand that struggle of like, 
you want to believe the best, you want to help, and you want to do what's right, uh, what you think is right. But in in the end, a lot of times what we're doing is enabling them to continue to use and continue to be in that bad state. So how have you, especially with your own family now, like how have you put up those, you know, boundaries to to keep everyone safe, you know, physically and mentally? Yeah. So I got to confess something real quick to you, though. When I found out that you were using, Mm -hmm. I was really mad at you. Sure. Because I had told you about Curtis, and I had shared these personal things, and I was like, dude, what? Like, I was so mad. And then I was like, okay, he's going to come out of it. And I prayed for you a lot during that. You're welcome. Um, Because I felt like it was such a – it was more than a drug battle. That this was a spiritual battle for you. Yeah. I've told you this before, Rob. Like, I think that you were a very gifted speaker and you were a very gifted pastor, whether that's your life calling as a career or right. not. You have a gift to share with people, like your stories, mm-hmm. which brings people closer to God. Yeah. So I just well, feel like I had to say that, that out loud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, thank you. You're welcome. So for boundaries, I think that you have to be very, very clear. And very firm on the boundaries. So there came a point when Jack was little, and I don't think Scarlett was born yet. It was Jack and Chance, and we were at my stepbrother Ted's house, and um, I could smell weed coming off of him, and he was blowing smoke, and Jack was there, and I was livid. Mm-hmm. And I said some very horrible things in front of the whole family. Yeah. Like, the whole thing hit the fan. Right. I mean, really nasty, horrible things to his children, too. I was like, this is how you don't become a successful person. Hmm. And he's a loser. And I just really let just horrible things come from my heart Mm -hmm. that I later went back to him and apologized to him in a cowardly way. I wrote him an email. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know. At least you did it. I felt this guilt of like, how did I cross that boundary with him Mm -hmm. that's his life he needs to handle it but then that so going to therapy is number one you really need to if you love an addict and you you are entangled in a relationship with them that is you know they're your sibling your parent your spouse somebody close to you and you want the relationship you have to go to therapy you can't be like you have to go to there like you personally need to go to therapy yeah because that's really the only way to deal with whether or not you're enabling. And I realized I was enabling him a lot because I was making all these excuses of, you know, oh, our parents got divorced. He didn't really have a father growing up. Well, we had the same family. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then also telling him what my expectations were. If you're high and you come to my house, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you to leave. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm going to ask you to leave. Mm-hmm. You can't be high around my children. Um, and I, Jack goes to Creekside High School. He's been around people who are high a right. lot. Sure. Um, you know, there it's he goes to high school. He knows it looks like for right. people to do drugs. He's not sheltered. And I'm not trying to shelter my kids from truth. My kids know that my brother has addiction issues. They know what addiction looks like. Mm-hmm. They've dealt with addiction in other areas of their life where they've seen people, other people in our family who have ha- held addiction issues. Um but they also know that that's not something that I want in my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to remove myself from those situations. 
And I'm going to try to remove them from those situations too, because that's not it. The more you entertain that being okay, um, you're not just saying it's okay for that person's life. You're kind of letting it seep into your own life. Hmm. Well, it's, it's okay for me to do this a little bit. It's okay for me to do that a little bit more. So I think that I want my kids to know, like, there's a hard and fast. I'm not going to allow somebody to do drugs in my house. Like that's a period at the end of that sentence. Um, So there have been times where I've had to ask him not to show up. Mm -hmm. And it really set off like the holy hell storm (laughs) from the rest of my family. Like how could you uninvite him to Thanksgiving? Right. And I'm like, you raised your family the way that you saw fit. And now it's my, my opportunity to make sure that I'm not creating this um, cycle, I need to break that wheel. I don't want my kids to think that it's okay. And even, you know, it's really hard now because marijuana is so like untaboo anymore. Right. <laughs> like everybody smokes weed. Sure. And Jack's like, you know, I know a lot of people that smoke weed. I don't smoke weed. I just, it's whatever they want to do. And I'm like, no, it's not <laughs> whatever they want to do. First of all, they're children, right? <laughs> so they can't make that decision. But also, like, it can lead to other things. Our very blasé attitude that we have as a society about things makes it so much easier to kind of let it go and, and think it's no big deal, which makes it much harder for an addict to get help. Because mm. if it's no big deal, they're not going to go get help. And I think the same thing about alcohol, which... That's a whole nother podcast probably. But uh, I've seen, uh, especially for moms, uh, I, I'm, I'm very fascinated by the the, the alcohol mom thing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, poor mom, you need a glass of wine. Like, right. No, I need you to do the dishes, dude. Yeah. I don't need a glass of wine. Right. Like, and it's, it's almost like if you don't drink, um, I don't drink a whole lot. Because I, ha- I have all these autoimmune issues, and one mm-hmm. of them is lupus, and I have celiac disease too. But um, so, because of my lupus, I take this medication that helps to um, kind of suppress it. And if I drink, it really like kind of messes with me. I don't process it correctly. Yeah. So I'm like a one glass of wine kind of a girl at this yeah. point. If I do ever drink, um, but I really rarely ever drink anymore. And um, but it's so crazy. Like if you go out to eat with friends and they all order drinks and then you order water, they're, they don't just go, okay, not moving on. They're like, why are you drinking water? Right. Have some margaritas with yeah. us. I'm like, dude, no, I don't want a margarita. Yeah. And it's not, I don't have a problem with alcohol. I don't have a problem. I, I've never had any hold on me uh, uh, with those things. But there's a really strong societal like do with us what we're doing that I think makes it hard for people to say they have a problem, especially when it comes to alcohol, um, which is really the last, um, you know, Curtis did a lot of hard drugs at one point there was, I don't know if he's done any that like, if he hasn't done any drugs, Mm -hmm. he's done heroin, he's done cocaine, he's done crack, he's done, you know, pills and ecstasy and all the things. Um, the hardest thing for him to quit was was weed and drinking. Yeah. Um and I don't know why you can literally quit doing heroin and you can't quit drinking? Yeah. That's crazy to yeah. me. 
Yeah, it's, you know, I was going to ask you, um, because I abstain from everything, Mm -hmm. you know, my whole life because of my brother, Mm -hmm. uh, watching him and what he went through. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want anything to do with that and became an addict through prescription medication, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Started abusing that. So it wasn't like one day I went out and picked up crack cocaine and started doing it. Um, That's the story I heard, actually. Well. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know who told you that, but that person no, 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 actually is correct. I was lying. I know. Um, but yeah, so I, I was curious that if you are, you know, obviously you kind of answer my question because like you said, you have these autoimmune diseases and you can't really drink like a normal person, I guess you would say. Yeah. But were you ever concerned um, in a sense of watching how much you drank? Because of um, I never let that runs in your family do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think in college everybody kind of goes off the deep end, but even then, I didn't really. I mean, I drank my fair share. Yeah. In college, um, but I talked a lot more than I drank. Gotcha. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and I and I certainly could drink a lot, but back then it was like I don't know. Yeah. I didn't. I never ever had a like i have to drink or i have to do and i never really smoked weed or did any of those other things because that's terrifying yeah i just wasn't interested in that um you know there were a lot um of times where like my brother would uh like hotbox me in the Mm -hmm. car (laughs) yeah uh, with his friends and i'd be like hey can i get a ride and they'd give me a ride and i'd come out like contact high sure yeah but um no i really i just didn't that just isn't i was very scared of it i was very mm-hmm. um i don't want any part of it and i was a little disgusted by it honestly like for the same reason like i told you my stepfather had a pornography addiction i'm like completely i, I don't want any part of that i don't want we don't even get like Victoria's Secret magazine in my house. Yeah. Like I don't want any part of that. And I think that that would be worse almost to find out like if Jason started smoking crack next week versus <laughs> he started watching pornography, I would be like, that's it. That's <laughs> like, funny. Yeah. I just like, I'm really, um, it bothers me that much sure. because of, I, I'm a very strong advocate of, um, human trafficking victims, right. and I'm I'm really passionate about that. And I just there's certain things that I'm like, this is a non-starter. Like it's not happening. Yeah. So um, fortunately, the love of my life seems to agree with s- at least most of my crazy. So yeah, that's a good one to find. Yeah, you got yeah. <laughs> to find one that agrees with most of your crazy. Yeah. 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 Well, awesome. Liz, thanks for opening up yeah, about those things. I absolutely. think that's some very helpful advice. I love how you set expectations, clearly communicated that. So he knew like, so, hey, you can't come over, but you already knew you couldn't come over because yeah. we talked about I this before. I think the follow through high. is the key yeah, though. Yeah, follow through. Like yep. if you say you can't come over and then they show up high and then you're like, all right, well, you're already here. No. Right. Like you have to be like, dude, I said what I said. Yeah. You got to go. Yeah. So that's Good. the last piece. Good stuff. Okay. All right, Liz, let's get on to our suggestions of the week. I hope oh, you're ready. Oh, boy. Oh, okay. Billy. <laughs> All right. I have some suggestions, some suggestions for you and you and you.
I've been doing this here for 41 years A whole lot of blood and a whole lot of tears So why don't you just sit right down in that chair Let go of all your worries and your fears I have some suggestions some suggestions for you and you and you especially you in the back not listening all right ladies and gentlemen here we go our suggestions of the week my suggestion to nobody's surprise is going to be cheetos Get you a bag of Cheetos. Don't do it. Makes you feel like a sixth grader again. (laughs) Just don't eat a whole bag of them. Okay? Okay. I will not be taking that suggestion. Yeah, that is my suggestion. Okay. All right. Noted. My wife, Becca, she likes to dip her Cheetos in ketchup. I will say I've never seen her eat Cheetos, (laughs) but back in the day, she used to dip them in in ketchup. So what say you? Okay, so this is actually not a new show, but on Netflix, there's a show called Peaky Blinders. Oh, get out of here. No, it's so good. It's so good. So it's basically like this <laughs> turn of the century gangster show, and it's like early 19th century <laughs> British. <laughs> um, you had me at gangster, no, and no, you're no, kind no, of no, losing no, me no. at British. No, no, no. No, I'm not losing you. They like it's based on a true story of these guys who used to sew like razor blades into the brim of their hat, mm-hmm. and if you cross their path, they'd be like, psh, 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 and yep. they like razor blade you, right? So um, it's so good. The guy's name is well, his his name in the show is Tommy Shelby, and he's kind of hot too. So like, there's that. Whoa, we were just talking about pornography. Is this something no, you struggle no, no, with? Okay, no. okay. Oh, okay. Are some sexy scenes in the show. You might have to fast forward <laughs> through some of it. Liz Earn is a hypocrite. No, <laughs> I'm I just am. Kidding. Oh, it's terrible. Um, no, it's so good. It's really like cinematographically. <laughs> is that a word? Yeah, I'll go back and okay. edit it. No, I'm just kidding. I won't. <laughs> Don't edit it. It's fine. It's just who I am. So it's, I know what you're saying. It's like beautiful. It's the the way that it's shot. The angles are beautiful. Like the costuming is beautiful. It's so well acted. It's just like one of those shows. And that the series uh, is going to continue, but I think COVID like messed it up for mm, them. Yeah. But uh, I think there are either five or six seasons done, and there's only like six episodes per season. So they're about an hour to an hour and a half long each. Oh, okay. It's so good. But you got to put your subtitles on because mm. some of them speak in a really heavy Scottish and British accent. I know I'm losing all the guys right now. Jason, I th- I just told you this, but Jason calls it uh, gangster Harry Potter because uh. they all speak in this <laughs> British accent. But it is a really beautiful, well done. Um, the storyline is really interesting. There's a lot of like historical fiction like things in it. Like I like that. It's really yeah. cool. So Peaky Blinders, you sold me. You did Tommy a way better. Shelby, <laughs> you did a way better job than I did on my Cheetos. <laughs> Well, <laughs> it's exponentially better than Cheetos. So. How dare you? Yeah, yeah. How dare you minimize my suggestion? I know. I'm sorry. 
I'm just kidding, Liz. (laughs) Thanks so much for coming on. All right. Thanks for having me. I know we barely touched the surface on stuff, so we'll definitely have you back on. Any last words, encouragement, anything you want to plug, promote? Uh, No, I just want people to... uh... I just want people to find out who God is and go for it. Figure it out. It's a new year, right? 2022. Mm-hmm. We've been living under rocks for two years. Like, <laughs> let's uh, let's just be sweet to people and kind to people. I think that that's that's how you win people to Jesus. Not not by hmm. telling them everything they're doing wrong, but by telling them how much they have that's going right for them. Yeah, so, well, that's, that's how Jesus did it. Yeah, that's how I'm going to do it too. I think. Yeah. That's how I'm trying to do it. That's the best way, (laughs) Yeah, I think. Yeah. All right, Liz. Well, thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Sounds good, buddy. All right. See ya.